Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Are you ready for what God has for you today? Whether you are in the room live, watching online, or later on demand, I know one thing for sure. God wants to do something new in you. There is nothing more exciting than knowing that God is at work, even if we can't see what He's doing and have to wait a while to find out. He is always good, so our lives are safe and secure in His hands, no matter what that new thing is. I'm Chris Voigt, and I have the immense privilege of leading the team here at Dayspring. It certainly keeps me on my toes because that team expends endless energy helping people grow. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that you can come as you. We're just like you, regular people on a journey discovering what God has for us each day, and each day saying yes to becoming like Jesus, one step at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to figure out what your yes is today, and tomorrow, and the next day slowly becoming like Jesus. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey, even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on. This is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Welcome to our series, Ephesians, Becoming Who You Are. We are excited that you have decided to join us. And as we have learned so far, the first three chapters have been about doctrine and the riches that we have in Christ. And as we move on today, we will begin the transformation from doctrine to discipline, from information to application, from knowing to doing. And as we understand the responsibilities that are ours because of the great riches that we have in Christ. And we have looked at the mystery that is unfolding as God gives an opportunity for all people to be reconciled to him, uh, to have a personal relationship with him through Jesus. And we have also seen that God is using those who choose a relationship with him to build his church, the body of Christ here on earth. So, for the rest of our series, we will be learning about how we should respond to the many great blessings that we have in Jesus and what our walk in this life should look like. We'll see this word walk several times throughout the rest of the series. And walking is a, a funny thing. Oftentimes, you can recognize someone uh, by their walk before you even see their face. You know what I mean. They're off in the distance and you think you know who it is and you kind of watch their walk and then you think, yeah, that's so-and-so. And there are so many kinds of walks. I mean, maybe you're walking in a hurry, your eyes are straight forward and you're just focused on nothing around you, just, just moving straight ahead as quickly as possible, trying to make up for that time that has 
slipped through our fingers. Or maybe walking aimlessly, wandering really, not quite sure where you're going, just wandering. When we were in Italy, we, we walked a lot and had no idea where we were going. Of course, we tried to use GPS, but the buildings were way too tall and close together. And we found ourselves wandering the same paths again and again. Here's a picture of our tour guides leading the way. <laughs> Every day for 13 days. How about walking on a hike? You know, strong legs, your, your, your sure feet are planted as you ascend the trail up to the peak and knowing that you have the strength to do it or the tired, unsteady downhill return, that walk where you're just trying to keep your bearings so that you don't slide down 250 feet of mud and rock only to land at the base of an evergreen? Or have you ever seen a young girl learning to walk in heels? Just for the record, heels are from the devil. <laughs> but anyway, she's unsure and she's wobbly, and it's clear that she's not steady on her feet. And my favorite, walking along the beach, just prayerful and thankful and very aware of God's power and beauty. It's a quiet place for my mind to really focus on God's work in my life and where he wants me to go next. Now, those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ often describe their intimacy with Jesus and how that applies to their daily living as their walk. So as we see the word walk, we think, how closely is my lifestyle representing Jesus? Am I in step, so to speak, with where, what, how he would want me to be handling each situation, each relationship, and every circumstance. Am I becoming more and more like Jesus with every step? Now, in the last three chapters of Ephesians, we will see Paul refer to different ways of walking. We'll look at walking in unity in our passage today, walking in purity next week, walking in harmony, and then walking in victory in the final week of our series. And as we are becoming more and more like Jesus, each week we will see that these four walks that Paul is describing parallel what we have already learned in the first three chapters. And if you miss those messages, you can always go to dsf.church and watch them online. Now, before we take off on our walk this week, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for your word. And, and we pray, God, that you would use it to, uh, to grow us up to bring us together in unity, that we may re represent you well. So Lord, um, open our eyes and our ears and our minds to what you have for us today. Amen. Now you can either uh, read the verses on the screens or you can turn to your Bible or navigate on your devices to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, a prisoner serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God.
So let's stop here for just a minute. Already there are two words that stand out for me. The first word, therefore, is referring to the basic doctrines that Paul has already taught in the first three chapters regarding our place in God's family. Now, as Chris mentioned last week, although Paul is writing from prison, he considers himself captive to Christ, not to a physical prison. And because we have these riches and this assurance of adoption into God's family uh, through our relationship with Jesus, Paul says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Now, the word beg um, or urge or beseech kind of depends on which version you're using today. It's a desperate plea to live a life, live our lives in a way that is worthy of our calling. God has given us such grace and mercy and the opportunity to be in his family through a relationship with his son. And he's, he's called us to a special assignment and we are called to live together in unity so that others will see how much Jesus loves them and in turn have a desire to be a part of God's family. It's a great privilege to be used by God. And our lifestyle should be a witness to the fact that we recognize the privilege and the importance of being used by God. Now, part of living in a way that is worthy of what we have received um, is to recognize that we have a responsibility to guard and protect the spiritual unity that we have in Christ. Unity is not cookie cutter sameness. That's uniformity. Unity comes from within us, whereas uniformity comes from an outside pressure, a pressure outside of us. Unity is a spiritual desire and obedience to work together, embracing our uniqueness. Unity comes from inside our hearts and our minds and allows uniqueness to be celebrated. Uniformity, uniformity is a pressure that we feel from the outside to be the same as someone else so that we fit in and we feel accepted and liked even loved. Now, here is where Paul begins to tell us how to live a life worthy of our calling. Verse 2. <clears throat> Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Now, humility is having an accurate view of ourselves. Not too low, not too high, but honest and accurate. It means that we know who we are. We accept where we are and we recognize or we're learning how to recognize where we need to grow and so that we're living lives worthy of our calling. In humility, we can appreciate our strengths without unhealthy pride and recognize our weaknesses without allowing our weaknesses to define who we are. Gentleness is power under restraint. And I love the quality of gentleness. My favorite earthly illustration is my husband, Tony. He is gentle physically and verbally. 
he's a strong man, but he restrains his strength when he holds his children and his grandchildren and his wife. He's intelligent about so many things. He calls it a fountain of worthless knowledge. But he knows a lot about a lot of subjects, and this knowledge makes him able to have a good conversation with just about anyone. But he doesn't use what he knows how to make others, uh, he doesn't use what he knows to make others feel less than. He uses it to engage with others. Jesus is our greatest example of gentleness. We see in the Bible that he had the power to destroy sinners like us. And yet, he loved them to himself. He pointed out their sin and weakness in a way that drew them to himself. We are to be patient with one another, making allowances for each other, for each other's faults, um, out of love. Out of the love that Jesus gives us to give away. Some Bible translations say the word bear with one another. We're to have the willingness to accept and respect one another regardless of our differences. I want you to write this down. We need to have the ability to endure discomfort with one another without fighting back. Let me say it again. We need to have the ability to endure discomfort with one another without fighting back. This is impossible apart from tapping into the Holy Spirit within us and allowing the love of Jesus and the Spirit within us to pour out of us. Let's go to verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort to keep united in the Spirit. Make every effort, not make some effort. It doesn't mean to give effort when it suits you or when you're in agreement. Make every effort, even when it's hard, even when we disagree. We can't expect that because we have our belief in Jesus in common, that we don't have to work at guarding and protecting the unity of the body of believers. That's like thinking that when you get married, that love is enough, and you don't have to work at it. That's like thinking that a happy, healthy marriage will just happen because you love each other and are married. I mean, anyone, anyone who's married knows how much work and how much sacrifice and how much blessing is involved when we make every effort. And just for the record, sometimes every effort in a marriage means getting help. It means sometimes to get through the rough spots, you need to get help. If your marriage is in trouble and you haven't sought godly help, you have not given it every effort. As followers of Christ, we each have our own individual relationship with Jesus. 
And we are one organism with which Jesus forms together through the gift of the Holy Spirit called the Body of Christ or the capital C Church. And just as we have been called individually to a relationship with Jesus, our hope of eternal life with God, we are called to work together as one in unity as the Body of Christ. Now next Paul gives us some basic spiritual realities that unite all true believers. Uh, verse 4, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. So let's break this down. One body. This is referring to the body of Christ um, or the, the global church, not the local neighborhood church, although that is very important. Um, though that, that it's very important, but the whole kingdom of God here on earth, belonging to a local church is vital. It gives us a glimpse of what the family of God looks like and is a reminder that we are a part of the kingdom of God as a whole. One spirit. Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit who dwells within every believer. The spirit is the one who communicates our calling and gives us the wisdom and the power to accomplish it. One hope. One hope or your calling. What is your calling for? It is, it's for the glory of God. Those of us who are called followers of Christ are confident that he will finish the good work he began in us. He will perfect what he started and he will complete what he planned. Therefore, we're future-oriented. We keep looking forward, focusing on God's eternal plan. We don't seek to find all of the answers here on earth. One Lord. Paul is referring to our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for us, who lives for us, and who will come again for us. It is hard to understand how if two people, if they are in fact serving the same Lord, cannot walk in unity. And yet, you know, when Gandhi, the spiritual leader of India, was asked what the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India was, he replied, Christians. How sad is that? And it still goes on today. I will never forget when I asked a friend who's not a believer why they didn't try going to church. And they replied, because so-and-so does. And if that's what church is about, I don't want any part of it. One faith. There are many things about which believers may have a difference of opinion. But one true faith means that faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah, who died on the cross and rose again, grace and forgiveness, eternal life with him and heaven. One baptism. Now, since 
Paul is talking about one baptism as he talks about one body, he's probably referring to the baptism of the Spirit. That's what believers call it when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And when we decide to turn over our lives to Jesus and allow him to be in control, he sends the Holy Spirit to take up residence in our hearts and the Bible calls this being baptized by the Spirit. Now water baptism is a different form of baptism. Water baptism is a command from God that demonstrates to others your commitment in Jesus Christ. It's a public declaration of your decision to follow Jesus. Um, it doesn't save you. Uh, only your decision to follow Jesus can do that. And by the way, if you are interested in being baptized, please contact me. Uh, Michelle at dayspringfellowship.com. We'll, we'll get that going. There is one God. Those who know Christ know the one true God. We all share the knowledge that he is Father, that he is in control of our lives. He lives within us and works through us, but we are all at different stages of maturity or growth in our relationship with him. Where our relationship stands is between us and God. Where we stand in maturity on judgment day is between us and God. But it is our responsibility to continue growing spiritually each day of our lives. So let's move from what we have in common to what is unique in each of us. Now, although we are one body, we are each unique with unique roles and gifts that God gives us. And this gift is different than the riches and blessings that we've been talking about in the previous chapters. This gift is a tool that God has equipped us with to build his kingdom. And we each have been given a gift or gifts that are specific for our place in his plan. Now, you might call it a divine skill. Uh, this is part of how he equips us to carry out his ministry here on earth until he returns. This is our calling. Let's pick it up in verse 7. <clears throat> However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a, a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Now Jesus came to earth to lead the captives of sin and law to be captive to himself instead. This is important to remember. He did not free us from the bondage of our sin to do whatever we like. He freed us to be totally devoted to him, to be captive to him. Then he graciously gave us gifts to each of his captives and then distributed these gifts to his gifted people. He, he distributed them to a particular demographic or environment and he equipped us for a specific time and a specific place to do his work. So let's distinguish between spiritual gifts and natural abilities. God gives us both of these, but natural abilities are not created equal. Some people are athletic, some are musically gifted, some are great with numbers, uh, while others excel at writing. 
Now, these abilities aren't created equally. Some are faster, stronger, more talented in their area of gifting or strength than others. And in the spiritual realm, all Christ followers have at least one spiritual gift, or maybe, maybe more. Um, but it, it doesn't matter what their natural abilities are. Spiritual gifts are given specifically for building up the body of Christ and giving glory to God. Warren Wearsby writes, A spiritual gift is a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and believers are edified. If you don't know what your spiritual gift or gifts are, there are lots of resources that can help you figure it out. In fact, our new Explore 301 class is coming up in the spring, and it will provide you with an opportunity to discover what your spiritual gifts might be. One author wrote, here's a challenging concept. Paul says that Christians are to see themselves as God's gift to a community in the degree in which they live captive to Christ and exercise the gifts given to them by Christ through the Holy Spirit. Now, there are three different lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. We find them in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, and 27 through 31, uh, Romans 12, 3 through 8, and Ephesians 4, 11. And it's possible that Paul does not identify all of the spiritual gifts since these lists are not identical. Let's keep moving. Let's go to verse 9. Notice that it says, He ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world, and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all of the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, at first glance, these, these two verses seem to be a little bit of a side note in where they're located, but in fact, they are the main point. Jesus Christ came to earth to offer his life as payment for the sin of all of humanity, past, present, future. He lived a sinless life yet sacrificed on the cross, paying our debt and bridging the gap between sinful humanity and a holy God. He made it possible for people to have an eternal relationship with God the Father, creator of all things seen and unseen, by choosing to believe in him as Savior and surrender to him as Lord. After his death on the cross, Jesus then rose from the dead, conquering the power of sin and death, and ascended back to heaven where he took his rightful place as King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So everything that we are talking about revolves around this fact. Continuing on verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the body of Christ. Now, here Paul lists four of the important roles in building up of his church. Now, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and we're going to put pastor and teacher together. 
So apostles, let's hit that one. An, an apostle is one who is sent with a commission to be a witness, eyewitness for Jesus Christ. An apostle is one of Jesus' specifically chosen ones. There are strict qualifications regarding the apostles. They must have witnessed Jesus' baptism, teaching, miracles, crucifixion. They also must have witnessed the, the risen Christ. Now, Jesus had many disciples, which means learner, but he chose specific men called apostles for a specific role. Now, oftentimes you hear these words used interchangeably, but in fact, they are not the same. As followers of Christ, we are his disciples. We are growing and we are learning. And as I said, a disciple's a learner. And that is why we at Dayspring call our spiritual growth strategy our discipleship strategy. It is our intentionally developed plan to help the body of Dayspring grow in spiritual maturity. Now, today we're called to have an apostolic ministry. Every believer is sent into the world to proclaim the gospel. But we are not apostles in the New Testament sense because we don't meet those qualifications. Now, there's no biblical evidence to indicate that the apostles were replaced when they died. Jesus appointed apostles to lay the foundation of the church. And since foundations only need to be laid once, you know, but the building continues. And after the apostles' deaths, other offices besides apostleship not requiring an eyewitness relationship with, with Jesus would carry on the work. That includes us today. Uh, prophets. Oftentimes a prophet is thought to be one to predict the future. Now, although that may be a part of being a prophet, a prophet, is prim their primary, primary function is to proclaim the word of God. Now, remember that in the New, the New Testament at this time, they had not yet been compiled. The books of the New Testament weren't put together yet. So God would share his truth with those whom he chose to give the gift of prophecy. And they would then share the information that he imparted to them through the Holy Spirit with God's people. Now, prophets um, understand spiritual truths and their purpose is to edify and encourage and console from the truth of God's word as given by God to the prophet. Now, since we have the Bible and the Holy Spirit, um, human prophets are not really needed today. In fact, when a teacher claims to have some spe special knowledge that is not in the Bible, it is a sure sign that they are a false teacher. And evangelists. These bearers of good news of the gospel of Christ uh, traveled from place to place to tell others of their opportunity to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Every one of us should be doing the work of evangelism, telling others about Jesus and, and how to know him. But not all of us have the gift of evangelism. But that doesn't excuse us from the responsibility of telling others about Jesus. 
pastors and teachers. Now the word pastor means to shepherd, to take care of. Pastors are called to care for the church. A pastor's role is to feed and lead the flock. That's you and me. Uh, the pastor feeds and leads with the word of God. We don't hire a pastor to pay them to do all of the work. We are led by the pastor through the word. And as we grow in the word, we then begin ministering to each other and to our communities. And that's how God intended us to work in unity. With Christ as, as the head and each one of us as an intricate and important part of, that keeps the body functioning properly, it is not the pastor's job to do everything. It's the pastor's role to care for and lead the flock to the place where they are a healthy church that is doing God's work faithfully. And this is, a manifest, this is manifested in a unified body of Christ taking care of each other. When we aren't doing our part, it affects other parts of the body. If one eye is closed, the other eye doesn't have full range of vision by itself. And, and, and if a fingernail is torn and bleeding, or, the finger that it's joined to is hampered by pain. If blood vessels aren't working properly or, or they're blocked so that they don't work at all, there may be a stroke or a heart attack. But when each body part functions as it should, there are no extra burdens on the other parts to keep up by themselves. There's no one part overloaded. Therefore, burnout is at a minimum, and all the parts of the body, every person here, we're ready to run the good race of advancing Christ's kingdom. It takes all of us. It is the responsibility of the pastors to accurately teach the word of God and lead the flock in such a way that there is heart transformation and spiritual growth in the church so that the body functions in unity, moving in the same direction, advancing the kingdom of God. All right, verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Spiritual health and spiritual growth are so very important. We can only measure up to our fullest potential if we are consistently growing in our walk of becoming more and more like Jesus every day, through every experience, every relationship that we have. And we do this by growing in humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love and protecting the unity of the Big C Church. Loving God, loving others, changing lives, just like it says out in the lobby in great big letters on the wall. Now, we know that spiritual maturity involves growing into the likeness of Christ. But how do we know that as a church that we are growing up in Christ? How do we know if our church is healthy? Let's see what Paul says in verse 14. 
then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try and trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, maturity involves stability. We are to be firm in our faith and in the knowledge of God's truth. Um, this, is, this is called being solid in our doctrine. We are not to remain immature like children. You know, we often give grace to children when they're acting immature because of their age and their brain development. Maybe because they haven't learned a particular lesson yet. But when we know that a child knows better, we are less apt to give them a break. We expect more of them. And some of you are not going to like what I say next. That's usually the case when I'm up here. But I'm going to say it anyway. Grow up. It's expected. Grow up. It's expected. We, as believers of Jesus Christ, are expected to be responsible for our own spiritual growth. It is not someone else's job. It is your job to grow you. It is my job to grow me. It is Pastor Chris's job to grow Pastor Chris. We all need to figure out where we are currently, where we are going on our journey. We don't want to get stuck or stay stuck. If you need help, we can help you with that. A good first step is taking the 201, Explore 201 class on November 27th. A next step could be to do some personal coaching. And the pastors at Dayspring love spiritual coaching, as do many of our other loving, mature believers in our Dayspring family. Uh, please let us know if you want some encouragement in this area, and we will connect you with the right person. Jesus wants nothing more from you than a desire for and some discipline to have a deeper relationship with him. Will he love you less if you choose to stay stuck? No. Will he love you more if you choose to grow? No. He loves us no matter what. He loves us enough to die for us. I mean, don't you think that just maybe he gets a little smile on his face when he sees us reaching for more of him? Don't you think that maybe he deserves for us to do whatever it takes to make him first? We are not to be like children in our doctrine. Children are gullible and can easily be deceived. We're to be sure and secure in the knowledge that Jesus is the only way to the one and only God and our lives 
We should live like our lives depend on it because they do depend on it. Maturity involves truth joined with love. God's plan for us includes us presenting the truth to others in love. We must hold the truth of God's word in greatest esteem and never forget the centrality of love. Tony Merida, Merida wrote in his commentary, Ministry involves a truth-telling, truth-maintaining, truth-doing love. Now, this is one of the reasons that we care so much about emotional health and how it impacts our spiritual maturity. Only emotionally mature people can love well. That's a fact. Anyone can love others at a minimum level. Um, but without emotional health, we get stuck in the me of it all. And when we're emotionally mature, we love well because we step out of ourselves and into the hearts and the lives of others. We can then love out of the riches that we have in Christ instead of striving to muster up the love that we're supposed to have for one another. Anybody? Maturity involves every believer contributing. Uh, Paul used the physical body as an illustration, which we've unpacked today. It's, it's such a good example of each part doing its part and the dependency of every part on every other part. Here at Dayspring, we're concerned with the overall health of each individual and how that impacts our church family. If we, every single one of us, are not contributing to growing up in Jesus, finding and using our gifts to further his ministry and living together in unity, the body of Christ cannot do what it's designed to do. We can't reach the goal Jesus has set for us unless we grow in maturity and in unity. Whenever a church is in an unhealthy place, I mean, ministry is stunted at best. Oftentimes, it comes to a screeching halt. It, it may look good on the outside, uh, but on the inside, people are distracted and hurt and burned out and the church can't run on empty for long. Things break down, relationships are fractured, pain and brokenness and disappointment are left behind. This is not what Jesus calls us to do. It sure pleases the enemy, but it is definitely not what Jesus calls us to do. Understanding our individual uniqueness, pursuing ever-increasing maturity, and protecting the unity of the church is how, it, how we avoid becoming unhealthy. And that's why we have beat this drum until you can't stand it. And we'll keep beating the drum. Because spiritual maturity matters. Emotional health matters. We must grow up in our Christ-likeness and love well. 
so that the world will know who Jesus is and want to know why he came. This is a life or death situation. There's a lot of people in this world that don't know Jesus yet and they're looking at you to see what he looks like. This is why we have a discipleship strategy, a tool to help us plan what we do here at Dayspring. It helps us plan in a way that gives us the most growth opportunities possible for everyone from the one who's just exploring who Jesus is to the baby Christian, to the toddler, to the teenager, to the adult, and on until we meet him face to face. So our walk with Jesus is important. It not only impacts our personal relationship with Jesus, it impacts the effectiveness of the church body. How are you walking? Are you in a hurry? Straight focused? Missing out on the opportunities that God has putting all around you? Are you walking aimlessly, wandering, not really sure of where you're going? Maybe not really caring either? Are you hiking uphill on your own strength for that climb or on an unsteady decline slipping downward? Are you in high heels? Unsure and insecure? Are you walking the beach or anywhere else focused on Jesus? and paying attention to his creation and how he wants to use you in it. Most importantly, can others recognize you as a sold out follower of Jesus Christ from a distance because of how you walk? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our tendency is just, you know what it is, we're human. Help us to be mindful of our path, to be mindful of our step, to be mindful of the unity in Christ that is so important to the world. Because it it shows them who you really are. God, forgive us for um, the way we repre represent you when we're me-focused. Show us that one place, that one step, that one bit of desire to help us be more like you today than we were yesterday. In Jesus' precious, holy name, all of the people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions, alone or with others, will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. 
faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God does His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, may you experience great joy in the presence of Jesus.